For everyone, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it would not be for judgment. I'm sorry, let me go back. Not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you direction when I come. Let's pray together. Father, we come in your presence this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the enablement of the Holy Spirit, I will be able to speak truth of your word to your people and that they will have open hearts and open ears to hear and receive what you have to say. I pray that you would use me to share and communicate these spiritual truths. And I ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. The one thing I want you to take away this morning, if anything, is that the Lord's Supper is about worship. The Lord's Supper is about worship. And I use the word the Lord's Supper, which is my first point, because that's what is always, that's what I read when I read this text. And when I look at the Gospels, which, uh, by the way, all four Gospels um, do write about the Lord's Supper, it is called the Lord's Supper. Traditionally and historically, we as a church here in North America um, and in Western civilization have called it communion. The question is, why do we call it communion? The Bible clearly calls it the Lord's Supper. Now, the reason why we call it communion is because there is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where the KGV, the King James Version, translates fellowship, konoia, to communion. And it says the following, The cup of blessing which we bless, it is not the communion of the blood of Christ. And the bread which we break, it is not the communion of the blood of, uh, not the communion of the body of Christ. When the modern translation, which is the translation that we use Today, we, they translate the word communion to participation, which personally, I prefer. Now, I don't have any quarrels or any problems with the word communion, but the word for communion here that is in the Greek is konoia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. And fellowship means a very important and close relationship between those who believe the same thing. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I am in fellowship with you. Would you agree with that? And so when I look at the word fellowship and I look at these two translations, and not that I have any problem with the King James Version, but I prefer the ESV translation, which means to participate, which means we are joining together, coming together as a team, as a, as a, a, a group of believers, or what the Bible calls the body of Christ, which is the key word here, body. 
And we're going to unpack this word, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, uh, later on in our developing or of our preaching of 1 Corinthians, um, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul uh, shares a little bit more what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So, although we use the word communion, I prefer that, I prefer, personally prefer, to use the word the Lord's Supper or the phrase the Lord's Supper. And what Paul is saying here and what the Bible is teaching us there here is that we are all participating in the Lord's Supper. We are all having dinner together. We are all coming before the table of our Lord Jesus to eat a meal together. The word supper here in Greek is diponanin, which means a formal or an important dinner. I'm from the Northeast. I don't know if you could pick that up from my accent, can you? But up in the Northeast, and I don't hear too much down here in the South. By the way, I love, I'm glad I'm down in the South. Trust me especially in this weather. But up in the Northeast, they use the word supper a lot. Um, I don't know if I've even heard of people use that here, but they always, after church, they're like, oh, we want to invite you over to our house for supper. And it has a lot deeper meaning to them saying, oh, won't you come to our house for dinner? Or won't you come to our house for lunch? Because it, it, it's, it's more of an intimate an intimate time together with someone breaking bread. There's something about eating dinner together. There's something about breaking bread with somebody. That's why our Lord Jesus throughout his ministry was always breaking bread at someone's house and sharing life together. Because when you break bread with somebody, when you are having dinner or a meal with somebody, you're saying to that person, I care about you. I care about your well-being and I want to expose or, or, or be vulnerable to you, show you who I really am. And how else would you do that but over dinner when they see how terrible you eat, right? But anyway, um, the Lord's Supper is saying we are having a formal dinner. We're having a, an important dinner with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This dinner is far more important than having a dinner with an earthly queen, like Elizabeth, or an earthly king. It's far more important than having dinner with a prime minister, maybe Boris Johnson. It's far more important than having dinner with the president, our president, Joe Biden. This dinner is far more important, far formal, far more intimate than any other dinner you will have with anybody in this world. Now, I like formal dinners. I like weddings. I don't know if you like weddings. I like coming together in weddings and having a formal dinner, everybody dressing up. I hope they still dress up at weddings. I wish that's not something they stop dressing up in. And if anybody getting married, please invite me. I love weddings. But uh, and I, I'll, I'll give you a good gift, I promise. But um, there's something about coming together. Like my brother recently, the last wedding I went to, Family coming together, sitting around a table, eating and dancing and celebrating together. It's a beautiful thing. That's how we have to view, understand what it means to come to the Lord's table. What we're saying when we come to the Lord's table, to the Lord's supper, we're saying is that we belong to him and we belong to each other. No one is left behind. 
What we're saying is that we are devoted to Jesus and we are devoted to each other. And I know it's easy to say that you're devoted to Jesus and sometimes it's very difficult to say you're devoted to each other. But it's extremely important that you understand that when you participate in the Lord's Supper, that's what you're proclaiming externally. That's what you're telling everybody who's around you and that's what you're telling the Lord Jesus himself. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in on what you're doing here on earth. I'm all in on what you're doing through your church. I am connected. I am committed. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Saying we are participants, as the ESV says, we are participants of the church. Not only are we participants of the church, but when the Lord Jesus returns, we are participants in his royal kingdom. If we are participants in his kingdom, we are his loyal subjects. How does that make you feel? Man, I'm excited about being a loyal subject to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How about you? We're committed to each other. No one is left behind. And this is the most important part about coming before the Lord's Supper. If we have offended anybody, <coughs> excuse me, that is the time of confession. That is the time when you go before that person that you offended in the body, in the church, and say, hey, man, I'm sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry for what I did to you. Please forgive me before you go before the Love Supper. And Paul is very clear there about the consequences of not doing that. Now, everybody, no one has a problem of asking the Lord for forgiveness for how you offended him. Is when we have to go and ask each other for forgiveness and where the, where the rubber meets the road. But what Paul is telling us in this passage is that you better take this seriously, and when you come before the Lord's Supper, when you participate in telling Jesus and each other that you are committed, you need to make sure that you make things right with those that you have a beef with. I use the word beef. I know that's not a formal word, but I thought it was appropriate at that time. There's nothing more intimate than breaking bread. I mean, you know that if you have families, there's nothing more beautiful than spending dinners with your family and having dinners with your kids. I remember as a, a, when my, kill, my children were young and on the way over here, my wife and Dresden and I saw a husband pushing a carriage with his little kids around. She says, well, I, I missed that times when our kids were small. I'm like, yeah, I do too. But I like it when they're big too because they can take care of themselves. But, you know... The thing was, sitting around that dinner table with the kids and sharing life with them, teaching them what life is all about, teaching them what it means to follow Jesus, opening up the Bible and reading the Bible and praying with them after dinner. Now everybody's doing their own thing. It's, it's very rarely that we'd be able to sit dinner together once a week. And, uh, and me with working nights, it's, 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 it's uh, Thursday nights is the only nights that we get, if that. The Lord's Supper is an important, important thing that we have to do here at our church. Now you may say to yourself, well, Pastor or Reuben, um, you call this a supper? Um, by the way, we have these individually wrapped cups with the wafers on top. We're still trying to keep COVID 
uh, friendly here, but you're saying to yourself, yeah, a little wafer and two ounces of juice, you call that supper? The portion of food is not the point here. The point is, is us getting together, coming together, and sitting at the Lord's table with each other. The, the church of Corinth, as we read here, was focused on food. I mean, they were having all-out meals. The, um, the rich people were bringing their food for themselves and their family, maybe their, their friends, and they were bringing wine, and they were, getting, they were filling their bellies, and they were getting drunk. And Paul says, how is this possible? You are not celebrating the Lord's Supper. You are um, doing something to satisfy your own fleshly desires. And what you're doing is causing division among this church. You're sitting down, you're getting drunk, you're eating, and those that don't have money or don't have resources or don't have uh, provisions to bring are, going, are left without, and you're humiliating them. You're making them look bad. How can you call this the Lord's Supper? How can you call this a, a time of, of a solemn um, gathering of the body of Christ proclaiming that we are committed to Jesus and each other? By no means. He goes on to say sarcastically, don't you have homes where you can eat up and, and drink up? Why do you got to bring it and do it in front of everybody and make everybody else feel bad? And then sarcastically, he also says, maybe this is a good thing that happens. Then I can see who truly loves, knows and loves Jesus and who are phony believers or religious people. See, the truth of the matter is that when a church teaches and preaches and lives out the truth of Scripture, those that are true believers and those that are true seekers will, 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 will follow along with the Lord Jesus because they hear his voice and they follow him. Those that are religious people and those that are wolves in sheep clothing, because in churches there are wolves with sheep clothing, they normally fall by the wayside or scattered. Sometimes you got to hit them over the head with the shepherd rod into, in order for them to leave. That's been my experience as a pastor for 20 years, and that's what Paul is doing here. <clears throat> Paul is saying it's not about the bread. It's not about the portions. That, you're missing the point here. The bread and the cup represents something very significant. It represents that we are committed to each other. And we're committed to the Lord Jesus. Now, there are some churches who have different understandings about communion. Some believe that the bread and the cup of the Lord becomes the actual body and the blood of Christ. And I might butcher this word, but I'm going to go ahead and try it anyway. They call that transubstantiation. Did I say that right? There you go. Thank you, David. Transubstantiation. We don't believe that here in uh, City Church. There are also other churches that believe that the bread and the cup continues to be unchanged elements, but that Christ's presence and faith, by faith, is made spiritually real in and through them. And this is called, oh, let me go back, consubstantiation. <laughs> I tried, I tried. And then lastly, some believe that the bread and the cup are unchanged elements and used as symbols, representing Christ's body and blood in remembrance of his enduring sacrifice and second coming. 
Now, this is an easy word. This is called symbolism. Now, I wish this is the camp that we fall in as a city church, and most Christian churches fall into this. I wish it was more of a cool word like the other two words, but it's a boring word called symbolism. But that's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's talk a little bit about the bread. The bread here represents his body that he willingly sacrificed for the church. Now, there is a misunderstanding in some churches when Jesus said, this is my body that has been broken for you, that Jesus's body was broken when he was on the cross. Let me just make something clear here. Jesus's body was never broken on the cross. If you remember when um, the the, the, the priests, the, the, the priest at the time, the, the Pharisees at the time, because they crucified Jesus on the Friday, Good Friday, asked um, the Roman uh, governors to break the legs, because there were three of them, break the legs of the uh, individuals that were crucified so that they can die faster, so that they could take them off the cross because Sabbath was coming. And the Roman uh, officials went and broke the leg of the first one, and he died, the second one. But when they came to Jesus... He was dead already. And so they was like, no, we're not going to break his legs. We're just going to cut him on the, pierce him on the side. And from there, blood and water flowed out. This is to fulfill prophecy that not one bone in Jesus's body will be broken. And I have scripture here that explains that. Let me go back one. And it says, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken and that he might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out water and blood. And he who saw it was, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. No, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they look on him whom have they have pierced. And when they had given, oh, let me go back. They look on him who have pierced. The point is, that when Jesus said, this is my bread, which is broken for you, he is not referring that his body was broken. What he is saying is that this loaf of bread, this one bread, represents my body. I'm going to break individual pieces and remember at the Lord's Supper and give each and every one of you a piece. And as you take this piece and you eat this piece, what you're saying is I belong to that loaf of bread. I am joining in in this loaf of bread, which is the body of Christ, which, by the way, he sacrificed his life for that body. And that is what Jesus meant when he said I gave, he gave thanks and he broke it, meaning the bread. And he said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we participate in this and when we eat our portion, we symbolically tell everyone here, Everyone that's in this room, everyone that's participating, we symbolically say, I am part of the church of God. I am part of the body of Christ. What we're saying is we're a family. 
what we're saying is we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom, and he is our king. That is what it means when we eat the portion of the bread. Now let's talk about the cup here. Now real quick, just a little disclaimer, a little side note. The cup is, doesn't say exactly what it's supposed to be. Uh, Jesus just calls it the fruit of the vine. So that means it could either be juice or it could be wine. Every church makes a decision on what they want to use. There, that's a judgment call for every church. Here at City Church, we use juice. But there is no particular um, type of uh, uh, um, specific type of liquid we're supposed to partake. It just says the fruit of the, of, the, of the vine. And so we decided to do juice. But anyway, the cup here represents his blood that was shed for the redemption of the body of Christ. The redemption of those who come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those, the humanity who comes to recognize who Jesus is for you and I who profess to know Jesus this is what his blood was shed for us to redeem us. Now this part is a little deep because I don't know if you remember that after Jesus participated in the Lord's Supper and Judas scurried off to do whatever he was do what he was going to do, Jesus left with the disciples and he went to the garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if you remember what happened in that garden, but he took his four close disciples and he told the other ones to stay and he asked his closest disciples to come with him and to, to pray with him because his, his spirit was sorrowful and he was in deep anguish, so much so that the gospel tells us that the blood vessels on his forehead busted because of the stress he was under knowing the cup that he was about to take on. Which is later on the beating that he took, the scourging that he took, and ultimately the crucifixion that he bore for us on that cross. Jesus agonized about this cup. I don't know if you remember that. It was extremely, extremely stressful for him. If you look with me in Matthew, verse, Matthew chapter 26, Verse 36 through 46, it says the following, that Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful and even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And he's going a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prays, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. He said to them, Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? And he watched and watched and prayed that you may not enter into temptation, but the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. He said, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, and their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. 
And they came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed at the hands of sinners. And rise, let us, go. Let us be going. See, my traitor is at hand. This is the cup that the Lord Jesus had to drink. This devastating moment, this awful moment in his life where he had to surrender his life. Now understand something. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% human, and he agonized over this. And he asked the Father, is there another way? Is there another way for the salvation of humanity? Is there another way for the sins to be redeemed? Does it have to be me? Does it have to be my blood? Does it have to be the sacrifice? Three times he asked the Father, and the third time he submitted to the Lord's will, to the Father's will. This is what this cup represents that we're going to be drinking this morning. This is what it proclaims. It proclaims his death on the cross for our sins. This is a very serious moment, but it's also a very celebrated moment as well. And in addition to that, it is a moment that we worship the Lord Jesus for all that he's done for us because there are two things that this moment known as the Lord's Supper does. It proclaims the Jesus' death until he comes. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And also it says the following. I tell you, Matthew chapter 26. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. There's that word, fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It proclaims the death of our Lord Jesus. It reminds us of the death of our Lord Jesus, but this is the kicker. It also reminds us of his second coming. It also reminds us that he's coming back and that he's going, he's going to have dinner and he's actually going to be standing there with us and we're going to have supper with him. That should make you excited because we go through all the anguish and everything here on earth and we say to ourselves, man, what is this going to get good? It's going to get good when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, we're going to have a seat at the table. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to have a seat at the table. Aren't you excited about that? The Lord's Supper <coughs> is about worship. It symbolically says that we're devoted to Jesus. It symbolically says that we're committed to each other. It says that we ask each other for forgiveness and we confess our sins for each other and we forgive each other. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of confession. It is a time of forgiveness. And it's a time of the celebration. It is a formal dinner with the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords. And it should be taken seriously. Do not, <coughs> excuse me, mock the Lord's Supper because you will be held accountable. More on that later. Not only is the Lord's Supper a better way of saying it, but it's also the beginning of a new covenant. Jesus said in verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, as remembrance of me. What is a covenant? The Greek word for covenant here is diketa, which means an agreement. 
This is God's new agreement or arrangement with humanity. Now, God made several agreements throughout history with humanity. And these agreements are initiated by God and God alone. They, man has nothing to do with it. God initiates these agreements, agreements and God puts them, executes these agreements because he loves us. Not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, simply because he loves us. Throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, we see these agreements. The first agreement we see is the Noahic, Noahic agreement. This is the story about Noah. Many of you remember Noah. Back in Noah's day, the fallen angels took on human body and had relationships with the, the, the daughters of men and had children, and it was chaotic. You think it's bad now. It was terrible during the time of Noah. And God called a man named Noah and his family. He had him build a big ark, had him put some animals that he wanted to save, and had Noah and his family go in it. And Noah preached the judgment of God upon humanity. And there was enough room for anyone and anyone who wanted to come in, but they all thought Noah was nuts. He was crazy. And, Noah, and God saved Noah and his family when he brought down the deluge, when it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and flooded the earth, and afterwards, when Noah came upon dry land, God said, I will not do that again, and put a rainbow in the sky as a mark of the covenant, the Noahic covenant, that he made an agreement, an arrangement with Noah. And that rainbow has been hijacked by other people. But another that by another, another day. The second covenant was the Abrahamic covenant. Many of you know that there was a man named Abram who lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and God called this man out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is known as Babylonia, and him and his wife Sarah, and he took him out, and he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You see all these stars in the heaven? That's how big your nation's going to be. You see all the sand in the ground? That's how great your nation's going to be. I'm going to do it with you. And, no, and Abraham was like, I'm an old guy. My wife is an old lady. We have no children. How is this possible? And God said, I'm going to do it. You watch. You have faith and you wait. And Noah and Abraham waited, made a lot of mistakes along the way. But God, you know, God overlooked it, forgave him of his mistake. And he still used them because God made an agreement. And he made an agreement with himself. And he's going to follow through with his agreement. He's going to use Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah had a baby named Isaac. And Isaac had a baby, a twins named Esau and Jacob. And through Jacob, God renamed him Israel. And I'm giving you a condensed version. And through Israel, you have what is known as the 12 tribes of Israel, which became the nation of Israel, which was a good nation, but it has not reached its greatness. Its greatness comes when Jesus returned, because guess what? Jesus fulfills that promise of the Abrahamic covenant, and we all participate in the nation. We all are seeds of Isaac. Through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the Abrahamic covenant. And when Jesus comes and set up his, his kingdom, that promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. With all tribes, all tongues, all nation, all people are part of this kingdom. Amen? The second covenant that God made with humanity was known as the Mosaic Covenant. Many of you know about the story of Moses. 
Moses was raised up and led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, through freedom. And then God made a sacrificial system through Moses. He created the Levitical priesthood. He created the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, he put the Ten Commandments, the Ten Basic Rules for Humanity to follow in order to live here on earth. He put the Aaron's staff that budded. He put the manna that God gave him food. And he created the sacrificial system. He created the tabernacle. And through the tabernacle came eventually the temple, which had the holy place and the holy of holy places where everybody goes to worship Yahweh, the God, the, the, the only one true God. The Abrahamic covenant. And we know that the Israelites failed God and violated many of these rules and regulations. And that's the point. The point was for them to see that they fall short and that there was going to come the Messiah, who is God in the flesh, to fulfill everything that was in the Abrahamic covenant. Isn't that awesome? The fourth covenant that God created with humanity was the Davidic covenant. Many of you know the King David when King David was on the throne during Israel's prime time, when Israel's golden age through Solomon, his son as well, God said to David, who was a, call, a man after God's own heart, which, by the way, David did a lot of foolish and awful things, but God still forgave them and used them. And God said to David, out of your line, out of your family, out of your lineage is going to come, is, is, is always going to be ruling the earth. It's always going to be a king. And as we look at the book of, as we look at the genealogies in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, we see that Jesus Christ comes out of the family of David. And when he comes back, he's ruling and reigning now, but when he comes back to earth, he rules and reigns forever. Amen? The Davidic covenant. And now we have here Jesus instituting the new covenant, which is what we are in right now. The new covenant, which he instituted and was able to institute, was able to bring to fulfillment through his life, his, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and it will come to completion as his second coming. He fulfilled the Noahic covenant. He is the salvation of humanity, just like that boat was. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. He is the promised son. He is the one that all nations are coming to be part of that great nation that God promised Abraham. He fulfills the Mosaic covenant. He is the one that fulfilled all the laws, all the requirements that God had. And, and was able to rip the veil and to have access for all of those who have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, have access to God's holy of holies without having to go through a priest or through a mediator, without having to do any more animal sacrifices because Jesus fulfilled it all. And now we are in the new covenants. You can clap, you can say hallelujah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> we have freedom here. These are beautiful things that we need to understand when we do communion. We are saying we're a part of the new covenant. We are part of God's family. We, are part of, we're, we have a long and rich history. You follow me? We have a long and rich history. This is not just a new 
uh, American uh, civilization thing. This is not just a new Western civilization understanding. This is a long, rich biblical history that you are participating when you participate in communion. So it is a time of worship. Oh, Jeremiah talks about that in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31, he says, Behold, the day is coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws within them, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The Lord's Supper is about worship, and it needs to be taken seriously. And that's the last part I'm going to give to you this morning. But this is the more, most important thing. I want you to think about this. Don't get scared, although when I read it, I tremble. But verses 27 through 34 says the following. For whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so they eat the bread and drink the cup of the, drink, drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if, you judge, but if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let me stop right there. Well, let me see. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when he comes together, it will not be judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. The Lord's Supper is to be taken seriously. It's not to be eaten in an unworthy manner. In other words, when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're saying, I'm committed to Jesus. When you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're saying, I'm committed to the body of Christ. Look next to you, look behind you, look around you. That's the body of Christ. You're saying, I'm committed to this church. Not just city church, but the universal church, the church of God. Those who have proclaimed the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That can be a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, an Anglican, a Catholic, or whatever denomination. When you participate in the Lord's Supper, this is what you're saying. I'm committed to Jesus, and I'm committed to the church. And if city church is your local church, then this is where you're committed at. But if you truly don't mean that and you're truly not committed to the Lord Jesus, you're taking it, you're making a mockery of this. It's a religious ritual for you. It's a routine. And that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about life. It's life-giving. It's true life. If you take the Lord's Supper and you are in constant quarrel or fighting or gossip or 
whatever else it is with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because what you're saying is I'm committed to the Lord and I'm committed to each other. So Paul tells us here, you need to go and confess and ask for forgiveness. And it is appropriate. I know we don't practice it in a lot of our churches because we, we, we feel awkward about it. But it is appropriate that you go and tell somebody here and now that you might have a problem with, and I, I don't know anything, that you're, you, you, you forgive me for how I treated you. It is appropriate for that to happen. Now, we don't do that because it feels awkward. But I, I wish we would put all that aside and realize that it is an act of worship. Honesty and community is important. And Paul says, when you take it in an unworthy manner, that's why a lot of you are sick and ill and some have died. Now, this has nothing to do with losing salvation. This has everything to do with saying, hey, you're mocking the Lord's Supper, Paul is saying, and you're going down the path of darkness and destruction, and God's going to take you out before you go further down. That's, that's what Paul is saying in a nutshell. So let's, let's view the Lord's Supper as something sacred, something important, and a, a time of reflection, a time of, of commitment, recommitment, a time of celebration, a time of worship. Let's package all that in, all those emotions until this one moment as we come and sit and have a place at the Lord's table. I don't want to scare anybody away this morning. I want to give you a couple of minutes to reflect because right now we're going to participate in communion. We're doing a little different right today. We have some communion cups here, pre-packaged for you, and we have some over here. In a couple of seconds, I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you spend some time with the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to come out on your left side, starting with these two rows and then these two rows. Those of you who are ready and are willing, come and grab a communion and sit down and hold it until I give further instruction. If you have children that are sitting here and they know the Lord Jesus and they understand everything that happened, they, are, they, are, they can participate in the Lord's Supper as well. So let us spend some time with the Lord right now. And it is appropriate if we need to ask somebody for forgiveness. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to look upon you differently. If they do, then now they have a problem. You understand? So let's spend a couple of seconds in reflection. When you're ready, those of you who are here, please, um, you can exit to your left and come down and grab the elements that are on the tables on the side here. Right now it would be okay to do that if you're ready to come and participate. Those in the center aisle can also come 
and hold on to your elements until further instruction. If you're not ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, no one's going to look at you wrong or anything. This is a time between you and God. You make that decision between you and God. You can go ahead and um, peel the top portion off, have the bread ready. Those are in the back if you want to come up. Those of you children, you can come up with your children. Isn't it beautiful to understand that we have a seat at God's table? And when Jesus returns, he will be seated there, seated there, seated there with us. And we'll hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. On the night, Paul says, I received, verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you sacrificed your life on our behalf to bring us into this new covenant which is to be part of the body of Christ. This bread represents that body that we are all going to participate in now, saying that we are committed and devoted to you, and we are committed to devote each other. We thank you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Let us eat together. Verse 25, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, the, do this as often as you drink it, and remember it to me. Let's pray together. Father, once again, I thank you that the Lord Jesus shed his blood, his precious and sinless blood on our behalf to cleanse us and to redeem us for our sins. He paid the death penalty that we all deserved because 
he loved us because you loved us. And I thank you that we have redemption of sin as a result. Let, in Jesus' name, amen. Let us drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming back, folks. Jesus is coming back. So today, I'm going to conclude by saying there's young men with the baskets there. You can throw your, uh, your garbage in there. If you want prayer, there's a prayer team in the back that is waiting to pray for you. Please, if you need prayer and you want prayer, Jim and Brenda will be back there to pray for you. Let us change our world. Let us live for the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.